is this the newest Voyager review podcast? It is not. Is it the one with the biggest names? No, but it is the best Voyager review podcast. It's Voyager, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm the best co-host, Peter. You are the best co-host, Peter. But we are, of course, making reference to a, a new challenger that has arrived. And by challenger, I mean something so large that our tiny asses get curb stopped immediately. But uh, the Delta Flyers. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't even call it a challenger. Like, there's there's plenty of space in podcast universe for everybody and everything and i you know yeah, true I think realistically <laughs> for like voyager there's maybe four active podcasts there's a uh, people versus star trek voyager which i enjoy there's us yeah. i think the real the old uh, delta flyer hung up its spurs back in like last april uh and i don't know who else is really out there active else so uh seeing garrett wang and robert duncan mcneil decide that they're going to throw their name in the hat uh is pretty exciting stuff because a lot of what you and i sit here and just blindly conjecture on hearing stuff straight from the horse's mouth has been pretty cool i haven't given it a listen yet but you and a number of our listeners did and reported back like Potential, you know, they got the the standard uh, podcast issues to work out. Uh, that is get better mics, kind of get some patter going as far as their interactions with each other. Uh, things that I think every single podcast ever made, you know, it takes a few episodes to bang out correctly. But that uh, all of the the insights that they had to offer, particularly when uh, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil had his opportunities to to speak uh, were were made for a good listen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, normally, I don't try to listen to other podcasts. So I don't want to like taint or whatever, but we're so much further ahead than they are. I, I don't feel bad about it. And I would say, you know, obviously, if you're a fan of Voyager, um, there's there's no reason not to listen to what some firsthand stories are. Hey, I don't know. Uh, is someone playing Mario Brothers behind you? So I'm hearing a lot of weird like jumpy hopes oh. and bloops. One second. Hey, sweetie. Yeah. Peter can hear your Animal Crossing. <gasps> oh my god, I'm sorry. It's okay. Might leave that in though, because that's <laughs> that's lived life right there. You're an Animal <laughs> Crossing player, right? Uh, my wife is, and I am happy that she has something she's happy about. So I'm actually gonna fucking hijack. It's a. I'm I'm sure everybody at home is also playing fucking Animal Crossing too because it's a phenomenon. There's these like NFC amiibo cards you can like tap to the console and like unlock characters. And for whatever reason, Nintendo doesn't sell these fucking things anymore. And it is a cutthroat secondary market. So like I bought some NFC tags. I'm going to pirate amiibos with cell phone programming. I'm I'm very excited about. Yeah, no, I, I actually have a friend who did the who did that back in the day with those things as well. Like uh they i think specifically for zelda breath of the wild like to get a whole bunch of power-ups for that when that came out that was actually the first game i played on the switch but yeah so ever since we got that stevie has uh has had essentially had full ownership of the of the switch which is fine by me because uh you know quarantining has done wonders for me getting through my steam game collection <laughs> yeah well it's because you're not wiping butts and dealing with screaming kids but anyways Delta Flyers, uh, it's really cool. I, I love having that that firsthand discussion. There is a whole rabbit hole that they go down about. We've talked about it. The Starfleet tips, the, the yeah. sideburns. I didn't know those were prosthetic wigs. Huh, really? I figured that these guys just 
you know, they, they just cut their sideburns to look at it. And like, according to Garrett Wang, the only person who was able to grow sideburns thick enough, and I got pretty big sideburns. So, you know, maybe I take them for granted, but the only person on the cast that could grow the sideburns long enough to, to do it was uh, Robert Picardo. And everybody else has to have these prosthetic silk woven wig sideburns get glued to their face. And it's just, you know, if you enjoy a convention panel, you're going to love listening to that show. Like, I don't think Robert Duncan McNeil is like anywhere near as like keener into it as Garrett Wang is like McNeil is certainly there for the ride. The money ride. <laughs> they were they were quick to monetize that. <laughs> Within the first three minutes, it's like, hey, Patreon, coffee mugs, uh, you know, special paywall content. And it's like, you, you guys haven't even said the word Star Trek yet. Like, what the fuck? But. Part of it, I think, is also that Garrett Wang's prior podcasting partner had passed away. Uh, Ooh, that was, yeah, yes. you're right. You're so right. I, this is this is him trying to kind of get the 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 train rolling again. And uh, well, I'm know, glad he's, he's not fully paywall because that other one I did want to legitimately listen to, it, but it's like I'm not gonna pay for a, a special what the hell was it Hulu subscription or whatever the fuck it was. So I'm I'm really happy they got some public access content, and there is just fucking Star Trek production gold in there. Speaking of Star Trek production gold. Speaking of motherfucking gold. Wow. What did we we watch this week, man? What did we watch? Because it wasn't fucking Star Trek Voyager. That's for goddamn sure. I've... Did I watch a movie? (laughs) Joe, did did I watch Westworld? Or was this Game of Thrones? Or something else out of... 2020 that was that fucking mind-blowing excellent do you know how rare it is that i sit there and i watch a voyager episode and i just say to myself real time i'm watching something great i'm glad to hear that i didn't oversell it in our clothes last week when i told you this is often considered the best voyager episode uh if it's you're not ready to listen for an hour to me and Joe blow the fuck out of this episode oh, yeah. on our knees, <laughs> then go ahead and turn it off right now. Because yeah. that's oh, what it's going to be. I'm going to tickle the balls. I'm going to get the whole shaft in. If you no have doubter. not watched season five, episode six, Timeless before, stop listening to this episode of V'ger, please, right now and go on Netflix and watch it because you don't want anything spoiled, even with the bullshit Netflix spoiler capsules that we read every week i did not I was actually have- yeah i was actually really happy when you read it that it, there wasn't really a spoiler there and i was i was like oh good he might not know what he's about to about to see i mean i'm sitting there white knuckle watching this thing and i don't know if you're just joe schmo off the street and you don't really like star trek i mean you and i have ascended to a different level of like trek nerd, nerd right? valhalla yeah <laughs> even even whatever i thought i knew about star trek before like you and i putting a semi-professional effort of sitting there with a notebook taking detailed notes reading memory you know alpha entries talking about it for an hour every week talking to other people on the trauma support group about it and really living in the universe living in this this Berman era 90s trek in the bigger picture and how does this relate and what time were they, you know, filming first contact, all this other shit. Like if you didn't have all that, I don't know if you could go into this episode 
And there's just stuff that looks absurd and it still looks city, silly, but because we've been living in this in the trenches for so long and like, the you know, the story behind all these pieces, like even though this is just a TV budget, this thing just came off as so epic in every way. Like I, there is nothing bad that I think I'm going to be able to say about this episode. And that is so incredibly rare for especially Voyager that it's just it blows my fucking mind. This is the hundredth episode of Voyager. And from all of the information that was in the memory alpha, uh, they kind of drove their effort to make something special. I thought it quite interesting that they directly decided to get some of their inspiration from one of the, the better characterizations of Harry Kim. that You and I are big fans of, which was the killing game. Yeah. Which is kind of like just a raw ass, not giving a fuck anymore. Uh, they also kind of reflected on the idea of like that they made Harry Kim, who is, you know, the uh, the least valuable player when it came to their their cast members, the focus of their hundredth episode. Uh, you know, that surprised them that they did it and that it paid off. But, you know, it's a big deal when a show gets to this point, because uh, typically for other shows, Voyager is not going to be an example of it. But when you hit on 100 episodes, it means you have enough episodes uh, to get a syndication deal. So a lot of shows, they reach this and it's a big deal because everyone's getting paid forever, right? Like those syndication dollars are going to be coming in until Doomsday. Um, this is a network show, so that really wasn't the focus. But they put they put extra effort in and they got top quality material uh, written by Brendan Braga and uh, Joe Manowski and directed by LeVar Burton, who finally got a solid hit in like – He's, yeah. He has been the director behind some of Voyager's just most questionable oh, slash print, worst episodes. I got a printout right here because I'm going to tell you the, the episode title for this is going to be LeVar's Redemption. Uh, <laughs> let me go through the list here. And I haven't watched Deep Space Nine, so I'm going to leave that off. Next Generation, Second Chances, which was an excellent Thomas Riker episode, right? Right. The Pegasus. Funny. He like he's got like two of uh, Riker's best episodes under his belt. Uh, Pegasus also super excellent, and also an industrial accident episode, which I'm going to classify this one as not only time travel but uh, an industrial accident, which I do love. But then we get into Voyager Man, ex post facto, the Ugh. origin of Detective Tuvok, fucking terrible. The origin, the also the origin of the shitheads. Yes, like that was where the shit on your head makeup thing. That's where that was born. Dreadnought, which is one of the terrible entries into the uh, Bellana Torres evil rogue cyber baby mama. The Raven, which was a turd. And then, bam, timeless. And then we've got Live Fast and Prosper, Nightingale, Q2, which I know is going to be a dud, and then Homestead, whatever that is. So uh, everything on here could be complete dog shit, because as long as he's got timeless under his belt, uh, LeVar has fucking knocked it out of the park. And there's one writing credit you failed to mention in this, Joe. It's not just Bran Braga and Joe Manowski. Oh, yeah. It's Rick Berman. Rick Berman. And what's the last thing Rick Berman touched? Because we made a big deal out of that. It was Knight, I believe he wrote. Mm. Uh, He was. I think he had a credit on that. I'm checking. But I'm pretty sure it was. uh, I think it was Hope and Fears. Hope and Fear. Yeah. Yeah. Which I also loved. So um, I don't know if anybody at any point ever realized that when when and i don't know maybe it's the fact that rick berman can smell a winner and he worms his way in there to get his name on it uh maybe 
Rick Berman's actually a phenomenal writer. And if that is the case, shame on him for not putting pen to paper for more of the stuff that he was so closely involved in. Because if this is what he is capable of, God damn, if only every episode was half as good as this one. Well, I assure you that you will be a little uh, broken of that idea once we get to Enterprise, because he writes a lot of Enterprise and... I am the biggest defender of that fucking show on, on, on the planet, but uh, let's just say there's a lot of misses. Uh, so whatever magic he had in 1998, though. But let's actually talk about the episode. We've blown it enough. Mm. Let's talk about it. We get a, a, a very uh, cool opening uh, because it's not telling you a whole lot to start. We get a beam down to a very icy planet uh you've got two people they're in they look like they're in microwave suits you know they look like the cold weather gear looks like modern cold weather gear it was interesting to see the transporter effect against a pure white background and i don't know when they really transition the transporter effect but this is the first time i've really become aware that like there's this two pass scan that happens before like the glittery silhouettes come in and it's different than tng I'm guessing this was a transporter effect that debuted maybe with uh, Deep Space Nine, and I just never noticed it was different. Uh, this this feels like the effect that they had been using since at least then. I think it might have been that they used two different effects on that show because they had Cardassian transporters that they used a lot mm. because it's a Cardassian uh, space station. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's definitely been the effect they've been using on Voyager since. But so they're on this 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 winter planet, which is just the same cave planet, but now they've like sprayed snow all over it and it looks so shitty, but at the same time, I love it. I, I don't know why, but it just really struck me. Like again, it, it, I had this running thought the entire episode. Like if I was just someone who walked in, it was looking at like how hokey and crappy would this scene look? I loved it. And then I'm thinking in my head, like if this did have game of Thrones budget and they were able to like put two guys on the side of a huge ice cliff, like this, this could have been some really cool stuff or, you know, I should say cooler than it actually was. The scene passes with very little dialogue. You just see these two guys kind of trekking through the ice. They they arrive at some kind of marker metal in the ground that they reveal kind of using their hand, put some technological gizmo into that area and tap a com badge. Com, com badge looks a little different. We'll get a better view of it later. Mm hmm. Immediately, man, I saw that thing. I was like, oh, fuck, that's the all good things com badge. We're in the future. What the hell is going on? And I got real excited immediately. And uh, we get a pull out of the camera, which is just a fantastic effect. You see the two guys standing on what looks like a glacier and under the ice, under the translucent ice, you see the clear image of Vo uh, Voyager's sausage, uh, sausage, 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 sausage section. <laughs> Uh, no, that's that's a uh, that's a two color program. Uh, a saucer section with the uh, with its registry number and name visible, and Voyager is trapped under uh, this ice. The stakes right off the jump. I knew this was going to be an episode where Harry Kim screwed something up, and I figured it'd be a traditional episode where we get a bunch of exposition, and then there's a problem down the road, and they got to fly away from a wormhole or a binary star or some bullshit. To start the episode in all good things era, which I believe is like 2395 ish. 
to start in the future with Voyager dead in the ice, like just sent chills down my spine. I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be good. I uh, the two of these figures uh, uh, have a female uh, compatriot and being buddy is the word you're looking for as well. Yeah, later on, we'll find out a uh, fangirl that is uh, uh, serving as fuck buddy. And uh, they get beamed inside the the ship that is trapped in the glacier. We find out now, only after the teaser, and is that this is Harry Kim and uh, Chakotay. And they definitely didn't, quote, age them, really. They just kind of put some shit in their hair. And in Harry Kim's case, gave him the what I would call the COVID cut. You know, your hair is just kind of a little too long because you don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. They are alive and in the ship but clearly some kind of disaster has occurred uh might as well say it now uh this is probably the best garrett wang ever does uh as far as an actor on voyager uh he was good in the shoot he was good at some other times but there's a the way he was able to play the clear difference between this older harry kim that is obviously battered by time and and uh the weight that he carries and plucky young ensign Kim and how they contrast was so cool. He did a really good job carrying it. And you see that from the beginning here as he activates one of the, the Elkar's panels and is just kind of like fatalistically talking about how fucked the ship is. And uh, you can tell the demeanor difference immediately. Speaking to his, the way he carries himself, the look on his face, he's kind of got like this thousand yard stare. I got some real Lon Suter vibes off of him. This is a guy who has major demons, who does not care what other people think. He knows what he wants to do, and he is going to do it with as little social lubrication as possible. Um, He does a great job portraying fucked up. I think in the end, there's a little argument between or there's some shouting between him and Robert Picardo and Picardo outacts him pretty hard. They're like his outburst was a little subpar. But yes, I agree with the entire rest of this episode. He's on point. Oh, yeah. In that scene, Robert Picardo crushes it. Uh, You know, Robert Picardo's best is always going to be better than Garrett Wang's best. But I still want to, like, respect Garrett Wang's best as being. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's great. And along with uh, Garrett Wang being damaged, the ship's interiors. We talk, you know, it's not. Every day that you see the level of destruction that they visit in the ship, I think the only other time we've seen anything that rivals the amount of mess that they make in the interior of the ship is year of hell where they've just got like broken glass and like holes in the wall. They went crazy with the snow machine. They covered all these hallways. The bridge is just complete. Like, I don't know who had to clean up the mess they made on this, (laughs) but that guy got some fucking overtime and he should have got a cookie in the process because they went to unprecedented levels to, um, to deep freeze the ship. Yeah, they definitely got the fake snow machine working overtime on here. And uh, Chakotay heads to the bridge and Kim goes to sick bay. They clearly want to get the EMH that's clearly stated. Chakotay gets to the bridge and that's when we start getting some really cool, like just camera pan cutaways of just everyone on the ship is dead. Like, let's be clear. Body, 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 body. And then we get to the bridge and we see Tom dead. You know, and then we pan over and Chicote has got his flashlight now on the very dead Catherine Janeway. So what? they're as leaving no stone unturned. Be, as dead as she might be, her hair still looks 
excellent. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is frozen in time. That day, it is frozen in time. Perfect. These camera pans you're talking about. When we talk about LeVar Burton in this, it's not like he just got a good script and he gets to skate by and us saying this was a terrific episode and great job, LeVar Burton, just because, you know, this time they didn't fuck you with a complete turd like ex post facto or one of these other turkeys like he puts some legit heavy lifting into directorial style. All of the CG camera work, you know, positioning on that, that looks cool. Sure. But like the the physical camera movements that we'll see in every scene kill it a lot of the transitions where we move between the future well you know current whatever year star date and then the 2390s there's some really good fake out shots that happen there's a pad scene later on that blew me up Um, yeah he does a good job with transitions and camera placement and he gets away with it for this because this is such a different like the ship's fucked up. This is kind of a really like bizarre situation. And so shooting it differently kind of helps convey that, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. the way they placed the camera on all their bridge shots was unlike you ever see. And so it immediately is like makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Um, there is some conversation before they split up where Harry's doing a diagnostic report on the ship and they comment that uh, Dex. What is it? Nine, Nine through, through 14, 14 are now 10. Yeah. Are now 10. Um, that Chakotay mentions that they hit the planet going at least full impulse and that it probably killed everybody on impact. I guess the only thing you can really cite in this episode is like, and eh, that's a little like I'm so so like full impulse is basically warp one, right? Well, yeah, it's it's almost light speed approaching light speed. So, yeah, like everybody on the ship from that impact probably should have just been liquefied into like blood stains in the carpeting, but I get it. You need, you need the effect there. And I was like, okay, well maybe they're not going to get too gory in this episode. Like, you know, that's the one. And, and normally Voyager will go there. Voyager will get very gory comparatively to the other Star Treks. But uh, my thoughts on that were quickly dashed when later in the episode, uh, the doctors play with Kevin's <laughs> brain. <laughs> Yeah. So I think they could have had a couple crushed skulls, but I I get it. Uh, It is very clear. And, you know, props to Robert Beltran, too. Like the emotional pain you see Chakotay going through as he is on the bridge, seeing his friends and family dead all over the place. Like he wears that grief on his sleeve like a real champ. And I like that both him and Wang carry the sense of urgency. Like this is not a memorial service this is not a trip down memory load it's very painful for them to be there they're there for specific reasons they don't want to dawdle they want to get in get out and they portray that with body language as well as dialogue um in in a in a, in a perfect way they go to uh that is to say chakotay is on the bridge to actually find seven of nine they cut over to a deceased seven of nine uh, behind a console. Uh, You know, of course, Jerry Ryan's still looking great, even while being a corpse. And uh, Harry Kim gets to uh, sick bay and is able to revive the doctor's program and slap the uh, mobile emitter on him as quickly as possible. Uh, 
that's where we get a little bit more of the dialogue where Harry is not giving any fucks, uh, is clearly a different person, uh, does not want to be called Ensign. Makes that clear. Just goes by Harry. And uh, the doctor is like, hey, what the fuck is going on? And uh, they don't really feel like they got time to explain. They want to get the uh, the fuck out of there. But Harry uh, and Chakotay make it clear that their intention is to, as they say, change history. And that's actually when they first cut over to what you would call, I guess, the current day, the 2375. Uh, and we see our quote, our first what you uh, flashback, quote unquote. Yeah, when uh, when Chakotay rolls in and says, yeah, I'll tell you what happened. Everybody's dead and we're here to fix it. Like the brazen disregard for the temporal directive and everything else. And just seeing Chakotay has fallen back and like you can feel the Maquis in him, right? Like, I don't know what the fuck's happened, but I know changing history is bad. And I see that look in his eye and it's like, all right. Ch- Chakotay's back in rebel mode. Harry's got some fucking baggage. Like these are not the characters we're used to. These are some guys who've gone through some shit. And uh, I don't think we've ever really had a buddy pairing of Chakotay and Kim before, but like, no, yeah. it worked really well, especially in this environment and having the doctor there as like the, like the confused straight man, you know, the, the, the guy playing it straight and it like, was really cool too. And, and as soon as Chakotay's like lays the plan on the table, I'm like, all right, this, this is going to be a great episode. I'm in a hundred percent and I can't wait to see what happens when we transition into the, the, the post credit scene. It's like this. At first I think they're like on a nightclub and what they're doing is the, the camera's panning up on an augmented warp core. That's got a bunch of neon lights on it. And we're getting this slow motion Donnie Darko shot where the camera pans up the warp core. You see everybody standing around celebrating like it's New Year's Eve. Uh, confetti's in the air. Everybody's laughing and clapping. And you got Bolanotaurus walking in slow motion to bust this bottle of champagne on the new warp core. And it is one of the coolest Star Trek shots I've seen. Like, again, tipping my hat to LeVar Burton. This is just a magic moment. You can feel the excitement. And, and already things are starting to click like, it, this is such a great setup for what's going to be uh, a terrible disaster. I love it. Yeah, they they he's good at building a sense of dread, even though you know what happened, which is hard to pull off. Uh, the The point of the first flashback scene is to set up the the explanation to the audience slash explanation to the doctor of what happened. And that is, well, Voyager's finally done the thing that we keep complaining that they never do. And that is take some of this fabulous fucking technology that they seem to encounter on the semi-regular and actually try to use it for themselves. And uh, Arcturus had essentially gifted onto them the idea of using a, quote, quantum slipstream drive, which is a uh, a new super warp drive that uh, they don't really explain how it's different than folding space uh uh, and and using traditional warp drive, but whatever, it doesn't matter. It's super warp, and using quantum uh, slipstream drive is guaranteed to make the ship go much faster and get them back to the the Alpha Quadrant, and in, in fact, no time at all comparatively. And they have finally tried to use it. They have adapted their own systems. They've used Borg technology. They've used a, apparently a special alloy that they're able to uh, to synthesize on the ship. And they made their own. Uh, 
your mention of Arturus as being the progenitor of the Slipstream technology, I wonder if the fact that uh, Rick Berman was involved in both this episode and Hopes and Fears, like that's why they dove back to that particular piece of technology to found this disaster on. Yeah, I mean, all three of these guys wrote, you know, the same wrote that episode. So all three of them were involved on that. So it couldn't very well be. They're like, oh, yeah, we could use this. The party's pretty cool. Uh, I was disappointed that I did not catch any shots of smoldering catcher guy, a.k.a. Lieutenant Ayala. Uh, we do get treated to what I'm going to head and call right now the worst Neelix outfit of all time. <laughs> he looked like he skinned several clowns to make this outfit. It is just the fucking worst, man. Like. Janeway gives a little speech where she lays out in very clear language that it has been four years, two months and 11 days since the caretaker incident stranded. <laughs> I'm sorry, since Catherine Janeway stranded uh, Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. That I, I don't know if that math really lines up. I mean, we're in season five, but I guess we're kind of still at the closer to the beginning, we're at the beginning of, season. of season five. It may, time checks out. Yeah, it's true. You know, you did point out a lot of the episodes would have been running less than two weeks apart from each other. So seasons don't necessarily translate into years. Uh, but now we can all set our watches. It's been four years since they've been dealing with this stuff. Um, everybody's very excited about this. Neelix in his ugly clown outfit gifts uh, Bellana with a frozen killer hornet or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's clearly his Talaxian beekeeper outfit or something, man. Like, it it has to be seen to be believed. It's like got these like yellow like splat. It looks like camouflage if you're trying to camouflage yourself in a bucket of of piss and poop, you know? Yeah, it's just the colors are bad. The patterning is bad and uh, gives Bolana a, a giant stuffed killer hornet. Yeah. And he's like, it's good luck uh, on Talaxian ships. If one of these things sneaks on it, it's it's a good luck token. Everybody shouldn't have known then right then and there that. uh Neelix, the saboteur, was up to doing something. We've joked before that Neelix is there to cause problems and and undermine the crew for the lulls. He's poisoned the ship with cheese. Uh, he's been involved in several other very large accidents. That might account why like they cannot find the right harmonic whatever to like ride the slipstream. I bet you that's that fucking bug. That was the missing piece <laughs> that Harry never saw. That's why they could never do this thing perfect. Uh, we do get a we get we get our quick introduction to drunk seven of nine. Well, before that, too, like uh, uh, Tuvok throws a line out and he's like basically shits on on Neelix's contribution. I'm like, do do you think that Vulcans do not value the cultural values of other people? Like that was a that's some pretty ice cold shitty through at him. It goes to the. Tuvok is exasperated by Neelix canon. You know, that's like defines the relationship between the two of them. So I get it. But yeah, I, I guess we have to remember that Tuvok's a, a murder Vulcan, mm. you know, mm-hmm. not a not a thinking Vulcan, you know, True. so he's just he doesn't have time for people's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you pointed out, yes, uh, seven of mine is drunk and I didn't think I was going to like seeing her drunk but the way she plays it off uh with like the drunken acknowledgement that the doctor is her mentor and like embrace i think it felt very genuine and it's it's so hard to see people like scripted drunk 
but this worked out great and I loved it. Yeah, it's a nice preview for next week because next week is a very uh, seven of nine focused episode and it relies entirely on Jerry Ryan's ability to just go and go a whole bunch of different places. Is is that how they're going to instead of uh, every episode being about seven of nine trying to find her humanity like it's it's now going to be seven of nine has a drinking problem and she's just always drunk in every episodes working around her trying to become a high functioning drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, marked improvement. We'll have to send that one back in time. Uh, through interplexing beacons the one Uh, person that you would think would really be ready to kick back and yuck it up and enjoy a party is not it's tom paris who stand like you're talking before about tom doing some push-ups and some sit-ups i think he looks even better in this episode than he did uh back in that um the fucking delta flyer space extreme risk yeah yeah he's looking great in this um Although I guess it kind of makes sense. Like we know Tom doesn't necessarily want to get home. We know that home isn't a warm place to Tom. Tom doesn't care about his dad. Tom doesn't want to go back to being the convict. Tom likes the growth opportunities he's had. Uh, so while everybody else is boozing over by the the, the big nuclear warp engine, um, he's running simulations and he does not like what he sees. And again, instead of going to his hot rod, badass super engineer girlfriend and saying, hey, I think there's an issue with the warp drive that you're the primary caretaker of. He's like, hey, Harry, look what I found. Everybody's going to die. So he refers to it as that they might have built an Edsel, which I always thought was such a cool reference. Uh, the Edsel, my grandfather, this is how I know is my grandfather used to uh, have a car dealership. That was some one of the many businesses he owned through his life. And uh, so I heard about the Edsel and he was a huge fan of the car personally uh, because it was such a like a technologically innovative car. It had a lot of uh, uh, features that were uh, definitely unique for the time, it had like this cool steering wheel and like all these gizmos inside. Uh, but it, it wasn't well put together and it, it didn't really like succeed commercially and its quality level wasn't super high so i kind of got what he meant of like they built this technological terror uh but didn't didn't build it correctly and as a consequence there's a fatal phase variance in the slipstream and they go to test it in the holodeck and sure enough like this fatal flaw that they build into this is going to get them all killed i like the the simulations they're running like I like seeing the bridge shaking and, you know, the computer telling you that the world is falling apart and like this kind of blase look on Tom and, and Harry. Like it's it's a striking um, contrast to normally, you know, when shit's falling apart. It's like, oh, God, like somebody like, OK, this again. And it's a good fake out because you're like, oh, OK, they just ran the thing in the simulation and it's not good. There's a problem. And Harry's like, well, let's try it this way. And that's when Tom lays on the line like, look, dude, this is the 26th time we've run it. It's the 26th time we've blown up and everybody's dead. Like. Take the facts as they are. The shit's fucked. They come up with a a backup plan. And end up going back to the uh, the party, which is now no longer a party. And talk to the senior staff in the engineering room, kind of in a casual, uh, informal setting, which is different, right? They don't go to the briefing room. They stay in the deflated party uh, setting, which I thought was neat. And they, they talk about, you know, the 
the failure of all of these uh, uh, simulations. Uh, you know, they tell like Bolana and, and Seven of Nine when they interject, like, "Hey, if you want to go check it out, go to the holodeck, do it yourself." Like this, this is a real problem. And to also the writer's credit, they make sure to throw in in the dialogue here a reason for urgency, in that apparently the unobtainium that they synthesize to make this thing apparently has a decay rate that makes it so they can't use it for very long so they have to get going on using it or they will lose their essentially their only chance of of being able to utilize the technology effectively which i thought good good thank you thank you you for making sure you did that (laughs) one throwaway line that's all why why are we risking five crew members bridge crew members life to get a fucking probe that does not matter back in the Delta. Like that, that's all it takes is just set realistic stakes that make me understand character motivations. Um, I was very aware that the, I mean, this was a really big uh, conversation to have. Like the whole ship just had a fucking party and the 11th hour before this launch, your convict, fucking uh helmsman's like yeah listen this warp thing's all fucked up and and we shouldn't do it like that this is a big conversation to have in a very public place on a gossipy ship there's an outburst by kim that feels very good and i thought it was going to be blana leading the charge on like you know we we just put our blood sweat and tears into this thing you can't pull the plug last minute but it's it's harry that gets up in janeway's face and you mentioned before um God, what was the one where Harry grows a ball sack? Uh, oh, it was, it was the, uh, the that demon was planet. Demon. Yeah, yeah. Demon. Like, he stands up and really holds his ground and kind of challenges um, some of the other senior staff members and, and gets his opinion out there. And I'd say he takes it to the next level here with Jane when he really hard sells and says, this is our chance. We didn't. I didn't work as hard as I did on this just for us to throw it away. And Janeway's kind of like. Janeway is uncharacteristically risk willing in this episode, I'd say, and it'll shine in some later scenes, but she seems kind of like teetering on like, well, what should we do? And that's when um, Tom's like, well, we've got a plan B. I do really like what this sets up performance wise. In prior episodes, we were introduced to the idea of Janeway's significant personal uh, depression and guilt when it comes to why they're stuck here in the first place, right? Probably mm-hmm. presenting a reason why she would let Harry kind of get a little, kind of get a little uh, close to the line on acceptable behavior with defending doing this. Like she feels it too. That's Janeway wants to get home. She wants to get everyone home. This is a clear chance to do so. She wants to take it and she's They've letting wandered opportunities numerous yeah. times in the past. And then, of course, with Harry, this is setting up the key issue in the episode, which is his enthusiasm and go get a attitude and convincing everybody to take this risk with him gets everyone but him and Chakotay killed. Jump back and, to Eye of the Needle. The, the cheerleaders oh, yeah. of we are going to get home. You pointed it out then. It was Janeway and it was Harry Kim that were at the forefront of, yay, we're going home. I'm so excited. Everything's great. What could go wrong? And certainly season five has taken us down a darker path with everybody. And this is essentially Harry Kim's time in the barrel. And it works really well here because 
we get to see the contrast of Harry Kim doing the Harry Kim thing, which is the idealistic new guy in space trying to like rally everyone around, like doing it. And then we get to see the consequences of that when it goes wrong, like the worst way wrong. Mm-hmm. And it, it contrasted so well later on. Um, they, they you had, had uh, re- before you got out of the engineering scene, I think the only person who really offers significant pushback is Tuvok, who is, you know, the classic party pooper. And even Tuvok doesn't really, nobody really puts a hard foot down and says, listen, this is too dangerous. Scrub the whole thing. Yeah, it's really only Chakotay who voices significant concerns, but he doesn't do it there. Uh, He does it at dinner with Janeway later, where apparently Janeway has replicated a home recipe or something. And uh, she she lets him know, like, made the call. We're going to do this. Because the backup plan is that the Delta Flyer is going to be in front of Voyager and essentially kind of ride the rapids in front of Voyager and be able to send telemetry back that allow them to correct on the fly. And while they don't say, I guess the implication is, is that uh, the Delta Flyer being smaller uh, is less impacted by the phase variance. And so it can ride ahead let Voyager know what's about to happen so it can adjust itself. But there's only going to be a few seconds for them to have that interaction as it's necessary to make changes. I call this uh, scene the um, the return of our old friend, unilateral Kathy. Carrie gave her the, the, the plan that you just laid out about sending out an advanced ship to um, to give real time data so they can do those course corrections. And as a, uh, as uh, Chakotay comes into this candlelit dinner in Janeway's uh, quarters, she's like, yeah, I made my decision. And he could tell like Chakotay was hoping there would be some discussion about it, but he's seen unilateral Kathy before and he knows what happens when she makes up her mind. It's, you know, they write Janeway so many different ways and I can sit here and say like, this is not the same person that we uh, dealt with back in the Omega particle. Was it was that was that episode called the Omega? The Omega Directive, yeah. Omega Directive, right? There was a opportunity for Voyager to capitalize on unlimited power and crazy hyperscience, but this conservative, um, this conservative Starfleet captain, and she even lays a line like, "You can't put the genie back in the bottle." Like, you know, this is too much. This is too much risk. We can't. Blah 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 shut it all down. And then you've seen uh, Catherine Janeway who makes wild, risky decisions like working with the Borg uh, and some of the other times she's rolled the dice. Um, and and this, this is this is that one. This is unilateral Kathy. This is the Kathy who is not maybe thinking straight. And the set dressing I felt was very important. This You played Starcraft, right? Yes. This candle lit with the heavy... Uh, classical music playing in the background and the um, the rich, lavish food on the table. Like it felt like that conversation between Stukov and the the admiral that was sent out from uh, Earth to go put the Coprolo sector um, under the under Earth's control. Yeah, there's a there's a vibe of insanity in that cabin. It it, it it's got tinges of like hunt for red October. Like there's some real atmosphere and it, it encapsulates uh, Jane was decision-making process. 
they come to the conclusion they're gonna do it. Chakotay is trepidatious of like, listen, I'm not saying this can't work, but if you showed this to any Starfleet engineers, they'd say you're a fucking lunatic for trying this. It's dangerous. And we all know it's dangerous. But the allure of yeah, but this is a calculated risk that could get literally us home tomorrow, so we're going to do it. I like that you know, I talked before about the transitions are really good in this episode between future to past. Like He's got the pad with all the math on it, and he lays it on the table. And when the end of like her base, I don't say she, she doesn't bully. Like He knows what he's going into is dangerous, and he makes a choice that he's going to let it happen and he's going to roll the dice right along with Janeway. And as they go back on that pad, it shifts over to the same pad 25 years in the future. Was it 25 or 15 years? 15. 15 years in the future. Now laying on a frozen table, uh, frostbitten on the screen and, you know, obviously clearly foreshadowing that there's some real shit that's going to go down. It, it's just, it's a really cool camera. Uh, trick and again, LeVar Burton, A+. plus. The next scene's back in the future, and it's actually, I think, the first scene we've ever seen Delta Flyer's lower level. Mm-hmm. So Delta Flyer's got kind of like this cool lab slash science bay slash equipment stowage area that I think was pretty well designed. Yeah. And uh, they're catching the doctor up on what happened and that, you know, they did the slipstream flight and shit went wrong. And this is where we get a lot of the great content with Harry Kim starting to roll where he explains like, yeah, I got everyone killed. I, I sent them the wrong telemetry change and we made it back and everyone else died. And uh, that's a fucking problem. And we're not okay with that. Uh, They make it clear also that this is not uh, legal. Uh, They have uh, come back to break the temporal prime directive and they have to do that a plan that involves using seven of nine as their vector. They are going to communicate correct uh, telemetry to seven of nine in the past by basically tuning into her board radio frequency. And they're going to accomplish this temporal communication using something they stole, which is a Borg uh, temporal communicator which they bust out of like a, a sweet red case that is like classified ribbon on it. And shit. Yeah. With the future um, Starfleet, Starfleet symbol on it too, which was really uh, cool. There were so many times that I paused what I, you know, not to just write notes, but like rewind rewinds. I rewound portions of this episode more than probably I've rewound the rest of the episode, the rest of the series combined because they lay so much good background um, information in like casually through conversation, uh, you know, and I'm like sitting there, I'm like, as often happens with good episodes of Voyager, I start asking these questions like what, you know, they just let Chakotay keep the fucking Delta flyer, like, you know, this and that. And, and as he lays out like, yeah, we are bad guys. Now we are the most wanted people in the Federation. And, uh, Johnny law is coming for us. And this all comes after like, uh, they explain what happened. The doctor's like, you know, wow, geez, thanks for coming back and finding me. I would have sucked if I was just buried under the ice forever. And they're like, yeah, we don't really care about you. You, we need you to do operations on seven nine's brain. And that disregard for the EMH as a person really kind of felt like, uh, the Marines treatment of Bishop and aliens. 
and I, 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 I liked it. I, I thought it felt really cool. It's ev- everything's good, man. The whole way through, I'm just eating all this stuff up. Yeah, they they don't treat him with disrespect so much as listen, like this isn't about you. This is about fixing this problem, and you're a piece of that. I also, and, and so are they. Like they treat themselves as disposable, yeah. like themselves. Like I I don't think it was disrespect for the doctor's personhood so much as that's not the fucking point. The point that's not here the is mission. To fix it. Yeah, that's not what we're here to fucking do. It's to get the job done. Now, to go take apart Seven of Nine's head. <laughs> yeah. Listen, you already killed her son and pulled your fucking hollow emitter out of his brain. Go pull her brain out of her brain. Um, there is also a really cool parallel here, obviously, to Living Witness. And it's like every time you turn around anymore, it's like the doctor being woken up in some terrible dystopian future where shit's fucked and uh, all of his friends are dead. So uh, a lady enters named Tessa, who was the lady who was the communication voice earlier. She's a uh, a human lady that uh, Harry Kim decides to just make sure everyone understands is absolutely having sex with Chakotay. It's uh, rare hey. to hear them in Star Trek say these people are having sex like they're intimate, this and that like Harry just being like, oh, oh, who she? Oh, they're having sex. Make uh, no, they fucking. Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. They're having sex. Point she blank. Ex- they, she basically explains she's a Voyager fangirl. Like she's always been into Voyager. And then we know Robert Beltran fucks. You know, we learned that a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, she's got a, got a fuck buddy slash compadre in crime. Here's what you're getting. You're getting the dark future alternatives to two characters you have the young chipper go-getter ensign kim in the past and in the future you have a person who carries a terrible guilt because they were not good enough and his friends died and it has basically turned harry into lon Suter. in the past you have uh you know nice easy going co-opte who often falls for anything anybody tries to sell him on a sob story in the future, you have reverse co-opte who uses his own sob story to suck people into their deaths. Think about what they're doing. Like everybody's That's well aware. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even at the end, when like the the captain of the uh, the USS Challenger is like, "Listen, dude, I know you're about to fuck up the timeline," and in the process, potentially kill everybody. And when I say kill everybody, I mean rewrite the time where decisions were never made, things never played out. You are going to unwrite my reality. You guys fucked up. 150 people paid the price. 148 people paid the price. But you're small in the overall scope of things. You're going to do so much irreconcilable damage to this timeline. And reverse co-opte is like, yeah, but, you know, it's my crew. I got to try and do it. I'm sure you can understand. They're like, well, yeah, I guess we can understand. And even though we're in a galaxy class and you're a little bullshit shuttle, you're somehow going to survive long enough to do massive amounts of damage this lady uh who he has co-opted tessa i think had it been a two-part episode like was banded about or i think if there was uh if this was actually going to be a feature length movie like it was potentially talked about i think there would have been a b story here behind her like she doesn't really fit and i kept waiting for there to be a hidden agenda that she was going to play especially when like they got onto the bridge that she was some sort of like that she was there for the her own thing she wanted. She wanted 
explosive warp plasma or some sort of like weird terrorist agenda and she needed access to a federation starship and she found out about these two goofs on a suicide mission and that she was in there to like to screw them over and steal uh that doesn't end up manifesting but uh she's just in love with chakotay to the point where she is suicidal and willing to go along with him to the end until he flips a switch and undoes the past 15 years uh, and all of her actions mean nothing i want to return to the idea for a second about this being a two-parter slash movie part of me kind of wishes it was this was such a high quality episode that like expanding some of the pieces that doesn't develop well like tessa there's there's potential for that obviously uh but i think this actually works best it's just a one episode like you know shot I think like when I think back to Year of Hell, which is probably the next best Voyager installments, the two part kind of factor in there, I don't think helped it very much. I don't think it being a two parter assisted uh, that that storyline, like all of the good content when it came to the villain came in part two anyway. So really, all you would have missed is some of the padding and background as to what happened and they could have compressed that a little bit more cleanly anyway sometimes brevity is okay yeah and the fact that they just did this as an episode in the middle of the season and it was the 100th episode but there wasn't wasn't a two-parter wasn't a feature film wasn't like a season finale none of that it was just here's a quality episode of star trek here's a really well-told story in 48 minutes got him like I don't want to undervalue that that is also great. The pacing is excellent. And I want to say like, you know, they they go so fast and so hard, they don't give you a chance to breathe. But that's kind of the beauty of the episode is there are cutbacks and you have a chance to like collect yourself. But it still keeps moving at at an engaging pace where it keeps you on the edge of the seat. I don't need to see Harry Kim go to the party he describes or go on deep space missions trying to find Voyager his two minutes explaining those things is just as effective, you know? And going back to year of hell, uh, how interesting is it that Chakotay who had kind of sighted with, um, what the hell was uh, space space Boddicker space Boddicker. <laughs> what what Kren, Krenno, what the hell is it? The Krenon is that yeah I, f- I forget the character's name. The Krenon was the uh, some the name derogatory of the race. term for like space Boddicker. So Space Boddicker, he kind of sided with him like, yeah, you can change key events in history to reshape the future. And and again, he kind of reprises that same mindset. And this is like, yeah, man, we can totally just go back and send a little message back in time. And all of a sudden, in our mind, fix what is a broken timeline. We do get an interesting Chicote scene in these on Voyager. They're just trying to uh, get some sensor logs so they can modulate this message home and he hears Janeway's log and he gets a little bit winsome about what happened and has some doubt of like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this because, you know, that means I won't meet you. And Tessa's really function in the story is basically to have this scene, which is to ease Chakotay's doubts about what he's doing and remind him like, no, it's okay. This is, this is the mistake you were a part of and you need to fix it. And this is where your heart is. And that's all right. I love this bridge scene. I love how quiet everything is. The bridge is always so noisy with background ambient sound. And 
for it to be so quiet, you can hear a pin drop and you can hear their voices echoing off the walls really sells this cold tomb that the bridges become. When he sits down in the chair and you see him like rubbing the uh, armrests and you can see the guilt washing over him. And like, you know, the last time I sat in this chair, everyone was alive. And like, you can see how much the redemption of being commander on Voyager meant to him and how bad it kind of broke him when that was all taken away. Uh, really good. This is where I was expecting Tessa to like pull a phaser on him and like kill him or some shenanigans to go down. But uh, instead, like I said, she seems like she's kind of suicidal. Like your heart's always been here. Go ahead and unwrite the lives of uh, the entire alpha quadrant over the past 15 years. And I, you know, we're not looking at this in the big picture, but I wonder if it crosses uh, Chakotay's mind. Like, you know, Janeway was crazy. Janeway condemned billions and billions of people to die by siding with the Borg. Like if we do go back and save their lives, like how many other, and that's something we'll have to pay attention to is like post timeless. Like how many more people does Janeway really fuck over? Like, is it a bad thing that everybody on Voyager died? Probably not. I don't know. (laughs) Damage is done, man. Yeah, all of Arcturus's people were already assimilated. I think there's still a lot more damage for Janeway to wreak on the Delta Quadrant between season five, episode six, and wherever the hell uh, season seven ends. They cut back to the Delta Flyer. Uh, We get a tease to the end, which is Harry recording a message. We see only the end of it. And uh, he goes to work with the doctor who now has Seven of Nine's brain in his hands, as we noted earlier. It's my favorite scene for Kim. The episode is here where he's talking about, oh, we got a great party. Andy Manny fireworks. You know, there's a Vulcan's children's choir. Uh, I had Admiral saying they want me to marry their daughter. Uh, There was great speeches. We all got medals. And, uh, you know, he the doctor quips, hey, at least you weren't buried under ice. You know, he's like trying to joke and just the look. That Harry Kim gives and he like just turns around, just like stares daggers at him, be like, I wish I was dead. I, I how many times did I want to be dead? Having to deal with the guilt of everyone is dead but me, and I got them killed. Um, just great scene where he tells the story of how they got to this point. Uh, that Starfleet gave up after a while, but they didn't. And then they decided to quit Starfleet and put their plan in motion to hijack the Delta Flyer and then steal the 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 salvaged temporal communicator uh, to do this. Uh, I it was this scene especially that gave me the feeling that like Carrie Kim had these shades of Lon Suter damage uh, going on to Seven of Nine's brain. I thought this was a really cool prop and I never really realized that like so much of seven had been removed and replaced by board parts. And she's, you know, just a super hot chick in a skin tight soup with some uh, doodads glued on her face. Like the part that like st- um, goes around the border of her left eye, like that's not stuck to the skin that's sticking out of her skin and that yeah, her eyeball. And it looks like the entire left hemisphere of her brain is like this big copper brainy lobey thing. And uh, it's interesting that it's her left side, because if you're left brain, you're like more methodical and logical, right? So it's, it's cool that it's her left hemisphere that is robotic and has driven her to such 
methodical uh, 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 limits. Oh, that's a really good point about the left brain thing. Yeah, it, it's it's a cool idea that they're giving you an insight to like how much of Seven of Nine is still metal. That's my uh, that's my BA in psychology paying for itself, by the way. Excellent. Well done. You finally got to use it here on a Star <laughs> Trek podcast that I a couple like, hundred people might listen to. I would like my own Vulcan's Children Choir to celebrate that. I thought that was the other cool thing that uh, Harry mentioned that they got for their triumphant return home. There is a good moment where I think it reinforces that they respect the doctor where they get intercepted by a Starfleet vessel. Harry offers actually the doctor like, I'll take you offline because if you're a friend and we, if you don't want to be involved in this, I'm not going to make you be involved. And he's like, uh, no, uh, I'm going to help you do this. Are you fucking kidding me? I am totally ready to commit all the crimes against Voyager back, which tells you that the doctor's autonomy uh, is absolute. He can, in fact, assist criminals in breaking the temporal prime directive. Yes. If he wants to. Yes, 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 yes. And I put that down that he is not hard. I mean, it makes sense that this limited application band-aid wouldn't have like a higher ethical structure. Like here's all these other Starfleet rules. You must never break. It's like, you're there to like keep people from dying until they turn you off 15 minutes later. Not like you're ever going to be put in some sort of back to the future, uh, quantum, uh, time stream dilemma where you're going to have to like make decisions and we need you to toe the company line on it. We've already seen that the doctor is capable of committing genocide, literal genocide, when uh, they go to the Napoleon Dynamite psychic vampire planet. Yes. And he's ready to like nuke the site from orbit. So yeah, him being down for like some time bandit shit totally makes sense. There is a A plus fake out and they do it a couple times. Like they, they switch back over, I think to the past and they're like uh, Harry and Chakotay, they're ready to, to, you know, ride in front of us, uh, get ready to hit the slipstream and you see the Delta flyer. And then they pan the camera and you think what you're supposed to see is going to be Voyager. They're ready to go in and you get hit with the fucking Enterprise. And it wow. is so awesome and jarring. And it's not the Enterprise. It's a USS Challenger. It's a galaxy class, but yes. it's the fucking Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. So a classic galaxy class starship uh, forms up behind uh, noted that it is the USS Challenger. Uh, they hail. And Chakotay decides, well, maybe I can sweet talk this guy and uh, buy us some time. And of course, if you're going to have LeVar Burton direct your episode, then you might as well pay him a little extra and have Jordy LaForge show up. Damn, so man, that hit me. <laughs> I did not expect that for a minute. I figured they were going to cut corners on this thing and just be like, oh, Starfleet's coming, but they're not going to get any screen time. And we got to work quick before they get here. And we don't want to put the special effects budgets into any sort of a firefight or whatever. Them to play a galaxy class. I mean, it's been so long. Well, not that long because we saw the uh, the Enterprise and Picard and it felt great to see the the D in that. But to see that silhouette in a classic TNG behind the aft nacelle shot like was so cool. Uh, and then for them to pull it up and there's straight up motherfucking Captain uh, Captain LaForge chilling out in uh, in a first contacts jumpsuit with uh, the all good things com badge mashup. Like the only place they really cut corners there is like I thought we we're going to get a nice galaxy class bridge shot. But instead, he's like chilling out what looks like a fucking bedroom. 
Yeah, he's like in his in his quarters or something. Yeah, they they definitely skimped on the background. At least it wasn't like a, a CG background like when they had uh, Riker show up at the end of Picard. I wanted but, to see, like, I wanted to see what do you see when Picard calls you from the Enterprise? Like, how much of the bridge do you ever get to see? Like, do you get to see the guy at tactical or like the first officer? Is that just a close up? But they they cheated me, Joe. And yeah, it's it's just him talking like what a lazy captain style. You're going to deal with the guy who's the most dangerous, the most wanted fugitive in the fucking Federation. And you're dealing with that shit from your bedroom about to get co-opted. I will say, though, like they do a good job of. LeVar Burton, uh, I don't think he necessarily played his role again, except in Nemesis after this, but he does it. No, no, this insurrection came after this, too, because I think insurrection was ninety nine. Uh, but he does a great job of like, oh, that's Jordy, you know, like that's how Jordy talks, you know, that's the it's got that Jordy sort of like I get you, bro, kind of feel to him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's he gives like, here's the deal. Like, he's like, I get it, man. If I was in your position, I'd do what you're doing, too. Like, my people mean everything to me, but you are criminal and uh, I got to stop you now. If you're you just, a double criminal. This is the second time Starfleet's had to hunt your ass down. Now, if you just like kill your engines, come on board, you know, we'll, we'll drop the charges. We'll all be cool. You know, it's going to be it's going to it's all cool, man. Uh, and uh, they're like, nah, we're going to do this. And uh, LaForge's like, you know what? Good luck. Co-opted I'm, me. Yeah, I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to still try to stop you, but I ain't going to hate you for it. Which, Everybody watching this show knows damn well what a galaxy class vessel can do to a shuttlecraft. I'm going to pull I'm going to pull so many punches. You're going to think I'm species 8472. <laughs> uh, so they at this point are cutting back aggressively between the past and the future, you know, showing like the, the flight occurring with the uh, uh, with the slipstream and the problems that are happening and that they try to correct the phase variance and then there's an issue and they are successful uh to get the 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 temporal communication to actually work and they send back in time through that node a correction to seven who puts it in and unfortunately it doesn't work what is so, the episode of tng with fraser and the temporal loop they get caught in because you got some real shades of that here and i yeah i, I know I like when it. you're talking about it, i forget the name of it but the one where they they reshoot the same scenes over and over and over again yeah, like one of the best how shame on me for not fraser that's a, that's a i think that's a frakes directed episode it's also got ensign row in it too i remember that yeah 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 that that that's goddamn that's fuck me i can't believe it cause and effect duh duh yeah um yeah so he gets this message beam back she catches it uh current day harry kim has already shit the bed in providing the wrong set of coordinates because the talaxian fly has jinxed everything of course uh they lose traditional communications between the delta flyer and the ship they're kind of flying blind everybody's scared and then uh, seven nine's like, oh, hold on a second. Someone's hacking. Uh, oh, wait, we got cheater codes. That must have came from the Delta Flyer. Uh, let's use that. And I, you know, I'm not watching the jogger at the bottom of the episode. I don't know how much time is left. I figure this is it. Um, that 
they're going to do something and, you know, the end result is going to be, it knocks them out of the stream a little early, but they make, you know, an advancement. I'm not expecting to watch them sink the special effects budget into crash landing Voyager on the same planet where it landed the first time. And it's a great effect sequence too. They did a good job. It, you know, by 2020 standards, it looks like junk. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not Voyager landing on their own terms. Uh, what was the fucking first? The 37s. It's not like 37s bad. It's bad, but it's not 37s bad. But again, we know we're so deep in the trenches in this. Like, I don't even see the CG. It's like all I see is Voyager in this white knuckle race to the bottom and, and slamming on this planet. And I, it's just it's just fucking awesome watching this. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm surprised that they're actually killing everybody. I don't know how much time's left in the episode. I'm living in the moment and it's fucking great. And uh, we cut back to the future and everybody who is just kind of holding their breath, waiting to be like blinked out of oblivion during a quantum leap timeline change realizes that they're all still there and that there's something very wrong. So first of all, shout out to the writers. They specifically note that the inertial dampeners were offline during the crash sequence. And that is actually what would get everyone killed in that circumstance. Turned into goo on the floor. Yes. Uh, Second, when they cut back to the future, uh, you know, the, the challenger has successfully captured the, uh, uh, the Delta Flyer, but the Delta Flyer basically pulls a uh, surge maneuver through its uh, warp core, but it causes their warp core to go into meltdown. That's my complaint for this episode, Joe, is like if there was ever a time for Chakota to say, I've got an old Maquis trick, it was right here. <laughs> All right, that's your one DKP minus episode. That's mm-hmm. the one spot you failed in. Like Chakota again, was such a great pairing with Kim for this because chakotay has got the fuck Starfleet, I'm going to go do my own thing like resume and and, you know, to have the Delta Flyer in shake off a galaxy class like Chakotay would be the guy to pull it off. So um, they blow out the tractor beam and uh, at the same time, they kind of set their own death clock over there. Uh, the now co-opted Captain LaForge hails him again and is like, listen, you guys are in some deep trouble. Please drop your shields. Let me beam you to safety. They say, nah, we're riding this out to the end. And while this is happening, Kim is having a mental breakdown because it didn't work. And this is where uh, Picardo definitely sort of windmill slams over him because he's losing his shit. He's like, I've I killed them. I can't stop killing them. Like, all I could do is fail them. He's in it. Why spiral. doesn't the math work? And again, we're getting real shades of um, we're getting real shades of year of hell. Because this is space Boddicker, right? Like everything I do fails. Uh, this should work. The math is there. The math is good. I've had 15 years to plan this operation out and check and recheck these calculations. And I still killed everybody again. Time itself is against me. This is unwinnable. And that's when the doctor has to step up and basically say, grab your nuts and get it together, soldier. There's one man on this ship who can change the time-space continuum, and it's you. And you can have your meltdown some other fucking time, but right now, you have people to save. So let's fucking figure this shit out, because we're all going to be dead in 30 seconds. It's great. He just comes right over the top of him and just literally, like, drill sergeants him and be like, get it together, soldier! It's, It's good. It's a great moment. 
Yeah, uh, we cut back over on the bridge. We see Tessa and uh, Chakotay kind of like holding each other, now expecting that they're going to die in this warp explosion. I love seeing the... Uh, I love seeing the the challenger kind of looming overhead and seeing like, again, what's traditionally been the enterprise and like the good guy kind of being like the quasi bad guy in all of this. Um, Chakotay is like, listen, we're going to blow up. Uh, you better get to safe distance because we're going down with the ship. And during that explosion uh, in the back hall where uh, the doctor's like, listen, you know, if you can't save them, if you can't get everybody home, you can still save them and kind of like, hints at maybe you know the the only way to win the game is not to play at all and uh it gives harry the idea that uh it's it's an experiment that should have never happened he should never champion the cause and the right thing to do here is going to be to uh hit the cancel button so i'm gonna go for a real deep nerd cut but it relates to our old hobby uh one of the world of darkness role-playing games is wraith the oblivion and one of the key components of that game is you're playing a ghost and part of your inner struggle is to resolve why you can't let go of your life so that you can move on to the next stage of existence. And this is this is like a, a, a perfect harrowing sequence where it's like the key is you have to recognize in yourself what you're fucking with. Like, why can't I let go? What am I obsessive about? What can't I I let go of and what he can't let go of is he's trying to get them home still he isn't trying to save their lives he's trying to get them home and then the doctor helps him realize oh wait no i'm actually trying to save their lives getting them home that's not nearly as important there's another way through this and because i'm a huge fan of that game i like recognize like that storytelling trope in there and i thought that was really cool so i like that again going along the lawn suitor broken goods line like he has been he's like uh captain ahab right and this is his White this is whale, his moby yeah. dick um and that he has been so focused on the math that it's blinded him again to like you said the the big picture needs to be saving lives not winning and it's the same deal you know again back to year of hell was that he was so focused on getting everything to 100 percent, he realized that the only way to save his wife was to never do anything that he did so he kind of has this epiphany uh, he's able to see past his own dysfunction um, and they send the message back in time again. Uh, and this time, what they do in uh, cause and effect, they had to vent the cargo bay. Yeah, they had to vent the shuttle bay. Yeah. So he sends the the line back to seven. She's like, oh, I just got some communication. Janeway is like, all right, punch it in. They hit it and the entire slip stream falls apart. And everybody's like, what the fuck? Uh, Janeway calls over to Delta Flyer, which is also dropped out of warp. And she's like, dude, what the fuck? You just shit the bed. Uh, what was with those coordinates? And he's like, I didn't send any additional coordinates over. And then everybody kind of looks up at uh, seven of nine, who, if you'll keep in mind, has also in the past, like been like, I don't want to return to Earth, like hopes and fears. But um, she gets a pass card. There's there's no trees in there. Clearly, it's not her just making up messages from phantom entities. They they conclude the episode, I think, on a great note. Harry's chilling in the mess hall going over like, how did I fuck this up? How did, how did I go? How did this go wrong? You know, like what could have happened? And Janeway comes in with a very knowing expression. 
And I think she know. I think she's seen the entire message. They never say that she did, but I think like that's why she has like, the whole to. demeanor she has. Yeah. yeah, she has that demeanor, and comes in and explains like, yeah. So seven of nine discovered that it was your security code that sent it, and there was a message attached to it that we think is from the future. It's hard for us to know exactly 10 or 20 years and all of that. And it's trying to explain this to him. And it's clear, like she is so like this kid, whatever the fuck happened, this kid spent the next couple decades trying to save our lives. And like, she's so proud of him, you know, like you get that vibe of like, Oh man, like I I've done good with you. Like you really are fantastic. Like, good job and he's not obviously seeing it he's not getting it um and she tries to impart like we we don't have to know exactly what happened but what we do know is that you're the one that came through with us for somehow to prevent something from happening and then leaves them the message and it's the message we saw future harry kim finish uh recording previously which was essentially you know hey man if you're listening to this it means i fixed the mistake you made and uh, this is your second chance, you know, uh, you know, you, you owe me one is how it ends. Lots of broken rules here. Oh, yeah. Lots of broken rules from Harry. Lots of broken rules from Janeway. Um, I don't know. I enjoy the scene. I love the episode. I think there's a lot of different ways that they could have had this final scene play out. I don't know if this final scene was really even necessary. Um, it's a good scene because the acknowledgement, the discovery that Harry Kim time traveled to save the crew, uh, prevents this from actually becoming a bottle episode. Yes. That's what I thought was great. That it's not a full bottle because there is this connection. There's continuity. Right. And that's, that was the biggest thing we held against, um, uh, year of hell. And we, you know, conjectured that there should have been a way for people to somehow find it. And, and they've corrected that in this one. They could have had uh, Janeway just come by and say, hey, listen, don't beat yourself up. We'll get them next time, Tiger. And then her watch will reflect on the message that was sent and knows that she needs to keep it to herself because whatever. She even has a good, you know, line in there. And she's had good lines and she's had bad lines regarding time travel. Sometimes she's all about time travel. Other times she fucking flat out lies and says, like, I try to stay as far away from time travel as possible. But she hits a nail on the head when she says, you know, the one thing I can tell you about time travel and temporal paradoxes, because, you know, they, they they give a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge to it. And it's um, your goddamn movie Looper, where she's like, listen, <laughs> don't even bother trying to figure this shit out. What works temporally this time isn't going to be the next te- next time. You just the only way to understand temporal paradoxes is just to not even try to understand it which is the right answer for tv writing um but yeah all the rules get broken he he gets the message from himself in the future he knows the two big thoughts i'm left with at the end of this is one uh this may have effectively tied yesterday's enterprise as my favorite time travel episode of star trek nice that's high praise and and I mean, as far as like quality and everything, like it 
Guided Edge is right up there. I mean, this was this is easily the best Voyager. And I, you know, we got another two seasons to go or whatever, but I will be very surprised if they're able to tell a story that so greatly encapsulates so many of these characters and has a genuinely compelling story that I do not know how it resolved. I would have never thought by the end that he was going to get this fucking a message from himself on that. Like that's that's crazy. Um, it is a, it's it's a great button, and the fact that she decides to break all these rules and let him see the message, I think, mm-hmm. just makes perfect sense for the situation. And everything that I like about this episode, I think I like most Janeway being like, like I am so proud of this kid. Like this, you know, like I I I want to say like proud mom moment might be you know the right way to phrase it. Yeah, we find out also too that you know the the couple of seconds they did spend in the slipstream still gives them a 10-year bump. And that's a big deal. The only other time that they've gotten a 10-year bump was Kesko and like Super Saiyan, yeah. Oh God, and throwing them in the future, you know, throwing them across the galaxy, which completely cleared them a Borg space. So, you know, check that box that Voyager's actually making progress by means of their own actions. That's exciting. I don't know what's going to happen with the Harry Kim character, but I the the note we ended on the threshold that Harry has now crossed where he sees what his eagerness has done. Like there's no, there's no questions left for him. It's I knew what I wanted to do. I know what I convinced the captain to do. I saw my failure and I know that I killed everybody. And the only reason that people are still alive and I do not have this terrible guilt is because I broke like the most sacred Starfleet rules. So if he were to not return to homeostasis, if there was to be genuine character growth, I think this is the right time that they should have sprung board him into a serious character who who now has serious emotional baggage as if, you know, dying in space and some of the other bad shit he's gone through wasn't enough. Like this is in my mind, how like you have an origin story of like, a super villain, not a super villain, but like someone, a super scientist who is amoral um, and and gets that dark edge. It is a uniquely Voyager tale, and that's why I think I like it as much as I do. It's it's not a show an episode you necessarily could have done on TNG, you know, mm-hmm. like I think that's what makes it special. And that's why I think it's it's such a good entry of this show in particular, is that because of what we know about these characters and because of what we know about their experiences and because of their very familial atmosphere, because they are so isolated that it isn't to me at all an exception that they would be like, fuck the rules, fuck this bullshit. I'm getting my people home or I'm saving their lives and I don't care what rule I have to break to do it. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's that would have been a great mindset for him to carry forward. It says I've already broken the rules. I'm already living in sin. I'm already a fucking quantum double like <laughs> it, it, it's time. I don't want to say for evil, Harry, but for like. Business, Harry, to, to emerge, and I'll be curious to see um if any of that ends up bearing any fruit down the line. All right. On that note, my friend, what do we watch next week? Uh, probably something that isn't even a quarter as good as this. So, you know, we, we might want to just think about making this the last episode of our Voyager review and just, <laughs> just it was hanging up. Well, it's like, can't get any better than mm-hmm. this. Uh, season five, episode seven, infinite regress. And we see the conference room 
people just sitting around looking over their shoulder. Voyager comes into contact with Borg technology that causes Seven of Nine to display multiple personalities. Wow, this sounds fucking terrible. I hate uh, multiple personality disorder. Um, also, uh, do not want, man. I, I'm i happy to tell you that it's actually one of the episodes that I like the most. Uh, it's definitely not like I would say, like, quote unquote, one of the best. But uh, it's a great way to use Seven of Nine and tell a story about her and also actually like adds in some of the there are consequences for your actions moments that we have so craved mm-hmm. so i want to leave you with some hope this is actually good also it's probably like jerry ryan's best acting performance on the, the whole series maybe second best so so let me let me tap back into that ba i have in psychology real quick multiple personality disorder also known as a did disassociative identity disorder the late 90s, well, it was more early 90s. There was this hotbed of uh, incorrect diagnostics. Like true MPD is incredibly rare. And it was like super in vogue for a while there for everybody and their mother to um, to give their clients uh, DID um, uh, assessments. And you had a lot of that stuff popping up in popular culture. And it's it's curious to see that Voyager was not excused from that and that they're going to end up with their own multiple personality um, episodes. So at least they do it in a sci-fi explanation. It's sure, you know, like it is the premise is the whole one person is many people thing, but it's done in a science fiction way, right? And it's not going to be that terrible way. It's not going to be that terrible episode of TNG where data has a mask that makes him talk in silly voices. That's that's true. Wasn't that from the seventh season or something? It was called Masks. It was really fucking bad. Like it was so it bad, was. I completely forgot about it until I saw it like browsing around Wikipedia, and I was like, "Man, I, I made myself forget about that one." But you know, <laughs> he wasn't in a skin tight outfit. I will say, Lavar Burton, I did see that shot you did of Seven of Nine laying on the fucking uh, what, what is it where you put people in the wall, the the dead body bed. Mm-hmm. I did see you put that camera right at boob level to maximize that silhouette from a top down. I see what you did there. Hey, even, Levar, even in Lavar's redemption, the man has limits. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm glad those limits are there because I, I did enjoy that shot. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of limits, we've reached our limit of talking about Timeless. Uh, but please join us next week. We'll be happy to have you and see you then. <laughs>